Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's the WEI Celtics Podcast with Sam Packard and Jared White. Powered by CLNS Radio. Great show for you here. I am Jared Weiss. I'm joined by Samuel Packard, as you heard him say off the top. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss. And Sam? At Sam Packard NBA. We got a great show for you guys today. We're talking to Stool Greeny from Barstool Sports, their Celtics writer. Uh, it's a pretty good conversation, but don't Google Stool Greeny. I made that mistake. Nothing but bad results. All right, let's talk to Dan. First off, uh, I want to talk about you and your relationship with uh, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, You're probably the biggest Isaiah Thomas fan on Celtics Twitter right now, his biggest defender. You took down yep. Gary Tangway, which I I thought was deserved because he was just saying some uh, some ludicrous things. But sometimes I think you take your Isaiah fandom a bit too far. And my question is, do you think Isaiah Thomas is a top five point guard in this league? Well, let me ask a question to your question. Are we talking about right this second, or if I were to build a team and I needed five, you know, to build a, a top five list that way? Because it's two different arguments, right? Like, I take it, uh, answers for both. Well, let's okay. say right now. Okay, right now, as of what we've seen over the last month, I'd say he's absolutely he's playing at a top five level, um, you know, at his position. Now, I don't think he's been at a top-five level for the entire season, um, but it's getting to the point where when you look at some of what those other top-five guards are doing in the league, uh, Isaiah's production over the last you know, 13 or so games has been right on that level. So while I don't think he can live in that ranking, I think he absolutely deserves to be, at least in this discussion. I was hoping to like nail you down and like that was a very good nuanced answer, nuanced answer, because <laughs> I would have to agree and I think it comes down to John Wall. I would say that Steph Curry, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, and Kyle Lowry are your top four right now. I would put Isaiah in the in that fifth spot. But if I was building a franchise, I feel like John Wall is a better and more consistent player. That that's the kind of guy you would turn to over Isaiah. And then there's also, of course, Damian Lillard. And then, I mean, for really <laughs> opening up here, Marcelo Huertas, of course, who is the, probably the <laughs> greatest point guard in the NBA. Right. He said he had a crazy play where he hid behind the coach and then ran out for <laughs> yeah. a steal. That is hid behind Eric Spolstra, yeah. which is who's like one of the smallest coaches in the NBA too. That's really impressive. Yeah, I think for me, I always whenever people have this discussion, they're not really consistent, right? Because when you, when you would think of some negatives of why they can't be in that group, people would say, oh, well, his, his height makes him a defensive liability. But yet, you know, I don't see anybody holding Damon Lillard or even Kyle Lowry, whose defensive rating is, I don't know, maybe a point or two better than Isaiah. It's like they don't need to fit under that same criteria. And I think people just hear that he's 5'9 and think, 
oh, he's bad at defense. I'd rather have someone like Lillard over him. But Lillard is literally just as bad on, at defense. So there are things that Isaiah can do on the court that those other players can't do or that he does just as well. People just can't get past his height, and that really, really bothers me. My one counter-argument that I had planned is that Isaiah Thomas isn't even, uh, I wouldn't say, the best player on his own team right now. And I think we've seen that in the games that Jay Crowder's been out, that he is clearly the most valuable, and he's the, he's the straw that stirs the drink. Okay, I have a counter to your counter. Oh, you've come <laughs> prepared. Okay. I like that. Yeah, I have a counter to your counter, because think of the rebuild when they first traded out the big three, and it was a hot mess. The one thing that everybody always said they needed in order to make that next step in their rebuild was they needed a guy who could take the ball in the fourth quarter, score it, wasn't afraid of the moment, and that's literally exactly what Isaiah is. So when you think of who's more important between him and Crowder, it's kind of like saying which kid do you love the most because both are really, really important in different ways. You know, Jay's going to take the best wing defender, He allows you to go into these small lineups, but offensively, he's not nearly the the producer that Isaiah is. And when something, you know, when we're in a five point or less game with under a couple minutes to go, I would rather have the ball in Isaiah's hands than anybody else on the court. So to me, that makes him just as just as valuable because when the Celtics need a bucket or when the Celtics need someone to end a run. Isaiah is that guy, whereas Jay plays more of a complimentary offensive role. I mean, they're still in the playoffs without Jay. If Isaiah has been out for this long of a time period, I wonder if they'd even still, they'd be like fighting for the eighth spot, I think. I mean, Isaiah has been so, (laughs) basically there's one quarter every single game where Isaiah Thomas pretty much single-handedly carries the team and scores like 15 plus points. And it's I can't think of a single game off the top of my head where he basically didn't carry them for either the third or the fourth quarter, where it was him and the combination with either Evan Turner or Avery Bradley carrying that offense. And as great as Jay is, they are not winning these games without having those huge explosions of scoring. And the way that Thomas is able to kind of answer back for them, it's like every time the opponent scores, Isaiah comes down court and nails a three or hits some sort of absurd floater from the heavens. I don't want to say that I don't want to knock what Isaiah does in terms of being his fourth quarter scoring and just the crazy way he's able to get into the paint. I just think Jay Crowder is does so much and is so versatile that his value to the whole team we've seen in these games they haven't really played well while he's been out. So with if without Isaiah you miss that fourth quarter scoring. Without Jay you just every part of your team, your rebounding, your hustle, your especially your defense, your versatility all of that is lessened when Jay Crowder is out, and that's why I would say he's more valuable. And you said it's like um, saying which one of your kids you love more. I like Jay Crowder more, and I would not afraid to tell <laughs> if I had two sons, I'm, they're going to know what rank what the rankings are. I mean, one of your kids is better than the other. Sorry, but it's true. I know Stacy <laughs> is true. a fucking dick. <laughs> All right, it's that was a, a, it's, a, it's a tough argument because yes, you know. Jay allows you to be more flexible with your lineups, with your defensive assignments, but Isaiah's kind of like the little engine that can, you know? Like, he's the one who gets you going, and I don't know if when you look at who else is on the Celtics roster, sure, they, they still might be okay offensively, but like we saw, you know, what was it, in 2013, where they're scoring 13, 14 points to open a game, and they just don't have the firepower what good is it if you can't score the ball? 
and and while defense is important, and you know the defense wins championships and all that stuff is true, I just I can't say for me personally that you know Jay is our best player. I think there's also a difference between your best player and your most valuable player, um, and, and that's sort of where I have it. We would not be in this position if we didn't have Isaiah, where you've seen us still kind of live in that three, four, five seed without Jay, even though it's been terrible without him. I feel like the entire offense that Isaiah thrives in is predicated on Jay being able to play the four and being able to space the floor. And I think he's the real one versatile guy who can go from kind of the wing to that four position, that swing. Without him, you would, you'd have to play a lot more two-man traditional lineups, and I just don't think Isaiah would have as much success. Mm. But basically, we're arguing they're, both of players are very good. One's maybe more talented and the other more valuable. That's a good position to be in for the Celtics right now. I, I couldn't agree more, and I think we're we're really going to get our first sort of look to that theory tonight in Portland. Uh, you know, it's been great sort of for the argument that he's so valuable because look at how poor they've played without him. But now that he comes back, I mean, if they look just as terrible, and it, granted, you got to work him into the rotation, but we'll know. For me, that'll show me his value more. Is like, sure, everything went terrible when you were out, but now that you're back, What's your impact? If things don't really change, then I don't know. It's it's one of those kind of just tough situations where his value is still kind of up in the air. All right, the Crowder storyline is kind of the last hurrah in terms of like the changes in the team uh, until we reach the playoffs. That's in about two weeks. Right now, the Celtics are in a dead, dead hot. Wow, that's not a phrase. Ooh. Dead heat. A dead heat. I, I don't believe for dead heat. I yep. think dead a heat. dead hot. A dead <laughs> hot. A dead heat situation with uh, the Hawks, the Heat, and the Hornets. And I tweeted the other day the the Heat, the Hawks, and the Hornets is like an R rated version of the book from the uh, the Hoopers commercials. <laughs> and no one. I got nothing on Twitter, and I was just furious. Is this one of those times where you like you release a joke and you think, "Man, people are gonna love this," and I got nothing. It happens to me every day. I'll give you a verbal retweet right now. All right, thank you. All right, but they're in with the Heat, the Hawks, and the Hornets. Where do you see the Celtics finishing in terms of those the uh, the four teams, and who do you think they would make best matchup for in the playoffs? So I'm still holding out on, on the three seed. I think people have sort of given up that hope. Um, I've said, you know, I sort of, it's, it's my calling card since October. I think they end up with 47 wins. Where that, where that puts them in that range is anybody's guess. But, you know, we own the tiebreaker against Miami. We own the tiebreaker against Charlotte. Uh, if we were to beat the Hawks uh, in our last matchup this season, we'll be tied with them for the season series. And as of now, we have a better conference record, so we jump them. So if the Celtics just get back to how they normally have been playing all season, I don't see how they don't just snag that three seed. Um, I would love to see Miami drop to the six. Um, I don't really want to mess with how well Charlotte's playing. I think they have the similar type of personnel that gives the Celtics. Um, But I just think Miami, we own Miami. People don't want to believe it because they have the star power, but both games have, I'm pretty sure, have been won by double digits. I just think we're better than them, so I hope that they at least get passed by Charlotte. So two things. One, I don't understand anyone that thinks the Celtics couldn't get the three seed because they're a game behind Atlanta with two games in hand. So if they win both of those games, they're tied in the right. standings. And they're, one of those games is going to be against Atlanta, where if they beat them, then they would probably get the upper hand there. So the three seed is very much a likely outcome, or very much a possible outcome. 
Um, and then as far as Miami, they haven't played them with like Joe Johnson really in the rotation yet. So that's a huge, huge variable. And Miami has, I'd say, been generally better with him. I mean, they're they're six and four in their last ten games. They're I mean, really marginally well, better thing, than Boston. And, and, and to that point, though, but look at the teams they're beating. They, they played Philadelphia twice and beat them. They played Phoenix and beat them. So I think people are – the Celtics are going through this tough stretch of, you know, getting blown out by the Clippers, getting blown out by Oklahoma City. Miami's playing nobody. So when you look at the same teams they're beating, the Celtics have beat them also. So um, even though they've been 6-4 and four in the last 10, it's not like they were beating Oklahoma City or they were beating the Clippers. And that should give me reason for concern. I'm not going to get all hot and bothered because they're, you know, taking a back-to-back from the Sixers or anything. That's the thing about the Heat, though, is they all, the, the rest of their schedule is pretty easy. So that's why I think right. they have a real chance of jumping up at least to the third or fourth seed. I think the Celtics could lose home court advantage and end up being the five. I, it's really anyone's... Uh, anyone's game right now, but the Celtics do have a kind of tough remaining schedule, still having to play the Trailblazers tonight, still having to play the Warriors, and then finishing the season with those three teams. None of those are guaranteed wins, and this, uh, especially the Hornets and uh, Heat have a lot more built-in wins to their schedule, but it's really they could end up anywhere. Yeah, and I just, I'm just again, it's, for me it's all about consistency. Like It's just as likely that the Celtics could win all those games as it's supposed to be this foregone conclusion that they're going to lose to the Hart Hornets, they're going to lose to the Heat. But even if they were to fall down to the fifth seed and let's say, you know, Miami's at the four, I'm not convinced that in a series the Celtics don't win that. I'm not afraid of going to Miami and winning a game and then just taking care of business on your home court. I mean, frankly, they probably wouldn't even get to the point that home court advantage would be such a huge deal. I mean, Miami... All, all, really, all three of those teams are teams that could go six or seven games with the Celtics, but the Celtics at full strength are certainly capable of winning those series. That's the thing. Right. Or expected to win those series. I, no matter where they end up, I have. I think the Celtics can beat any of those teams in a first-round series. Just too much faith in Stevens being a basketball guru and figuring it out over the course of at least four games. I think the Celtics are better than are actually the third-best team in the Eastern Conference, so it doesn't really matter where their seed land. That's where, where they're going to end up, at least in the semifinals. Right, and, and I'm with you. I mean, again, I'm more about the win total than the seeding. So I, I've been pegged. I've hitched my wagon to 47, um, but that very well may end up in the five seed just because everybody else goes on a tear. We'll have to see. But um, I, I kind of – it doesn't really matter. They, The way they've played over, you know, the last 80 or so games or 70 or so games, whatever it is, um, they've shown me enough that our expectations should at least be get out of that first round, whether you have home court or not. Um, they're better than these other teams. And while they don't have the, the playoff experience like someone like Miami might have, um, they at least went last year, and they know what it's like to get swept. And I think all that matters. Um, so I really can't – it may go six, it may go seven, but, hey, even the championship team in 08 went seven early. So uh, I don't see the big deal in that either. And I mean, sure, most of these guys haven't had significant playoff runs, but it seems that usually once a young team gets just one taste of the playoffs, they pretty much get it, and the next year they make a much deeper run. I mean, we saw the Warriors did that three years ago. Thunder did that a little bit longer before that. Obviously, the Celtics are not in the same mold as those teams, but they were teams that were generally the same age group and kind of came up at the same time. With the Celtics, what do you think is like the wrinkle that comes out once it's playoff time? 
for me, it's and it probably helps your Jay Crowder argument, but um, it comes down to their ability to defend. I think when the Celtics get in trouble is when they're slow on their rotations. They they have a lot of cheap, tacky touch fouls. I think if they can just get back to how they defended early in the year when you know their defensive rating as a team was you know under a hundred, just really making it tough on teams. I think that's going to at least get them out of the first round. So when you start to move quicker or move later into the second round, the Eastern Conference Finals, then it comes down to talent, in my opinion, and how that talent stacks up. But if they can just not take long twos, play good, sound, solid defense, um, I think the teams that are ahead of them or who they will be facing don't have enough to, to match that. All right, this kind of plays into my argument because Isaiah Thomas is not your would be in your top five if you're playing your all-defensive lineup. But you're going to want to have him on the court while you're closing with him. So my question to you, I guess, is what's your what? who are the five Celtics you want finishing the game in the playoffs? Um, I'd say Isaiah at the one, Avery at the two, uh, or two or three, Smart, maybe at the two or three, however you want to change that, Crowder at the four, and probably Amir at the five. Amir Johnson finishing games. Mister doesn't play in the second half. I mean, yeah, that's really I mean, changed, I, just, right? I think defensively, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think, I mean, him and Sellinger, it's a toss-up. I go with Amir just for his ability to run the floor. I think if you get a stop, he has the ability to get out and run a little bit more. Um, but it's also based on the matchups that the other team is throwing off. But, you know, I don't see Golden State taking out Curry at the end of games. I don't see Portland taking out, you know, Lillard. I don't see any of these other top five guards who are bad at defense getting taken out. So you can hide Isaiah. He doesn't have to be the one that's guarding Steph Curry, if that's who it is, when we make the finals. I mean, it doesn't – there are ways to hide him in that lineup because the problem with the Celtics is they hold the ball at the end of games for 20 seconds on the shot clock, and then they take a long contested jumper. I think Isaiah being on there offensively just allows things to move so much more smoothly. All right, I'm 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 with you on this one because in my final five, I'm leaving Isaiah on the court, but I'm going a bit crazy. Jay Crowder at the five, Evan Turner at the four, Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, Isaiah Thomas. Go super small, but I would say those are probably your five best players on the team, and just see what happens. It's probably not the five you're going to finish the game with most of the times, but it's something I'm um, excited to see if Stevens will break it out, just because it's a crazy lineup that's super small, but is super. I think could be super dangerous. Yeah, and, and the key to that for me would be what what Evan Turner are we getting? Are we getting peak the Evan best Turner, Evan Turner? Or are we getting Valley Evan Turner? I think that would dictate the whole thing. Evan Turner is great for getting Isaiah off the ball. So when you have that second ball handler in there, uh, Bradley can't really do it, and Smart can't really do it. So that's why I like the combination of Turner and um, Isaiah. And yeah, that... I mean he's got he's six seven. I mean he's got some size to him, which is nice. Um, I just. He makes me nervous because, I mean, I, full disclosure, I, I was probably the leader in the charge of, of killing Evan Turner to start the year. I mean, uh, he was just so frustrated with watch of holding the ball too long, trying to do a crazy behind-the-back pass that was a turnover. He, he hadn't learned yet where his hot spots were and how to get there effectively. He since turned it around. So if you're going to give me the Evan Turner we've seen over the last you know, month or two, uh, I'm right there with you. He would be he would be a good guy to, to end that game. 
Full disclosure from me, uh, I also, every home game, just go up and talk to Evan Turner, and he's generally a nice guy. So I'm rooting for him, basically. He's, uh, Andy, I agree with you, he's playing well, um, especially finding his spots on the baseline, just that mid-range jumper. No one has a, shoots a better mid-range game than Evan Turner, and I think there's a big reason why the Celtics are probably going to re-sign him in the offseason. Well, it depends. I think he's he's sort of, and, and Selinger might be doing this also, but they may be playing their way out of Boston because, you know, let's. I think it's it makes sense to bring Turner back, but at a price. You know, I don't think he's a eleven, twelve million a year player, but someone like Phil Jackson in New York could just say, you know what, here's ten, eleven million a year, and at that point, for me, you have to walk away just because. You know, that's a lot of money, even though the cap's going up. I, I don't know if, if I would be comfortable with that. Yeah, I mean, the question for Evan, and we've kind of covered this in the past, is he's probably going to get offers of even 12 from some teams, but he's probably only going to be getting something around 9 or 10 from the he's got He's got to take a hometown discount. So is he going to take a hometown discount? He's someone that is very likely to do that because he's talked a lot in the past about how good of a place Boston's been for him mm-hmm. and compared to – how how he got let go in Philly, which I mean, he generally has good things to say about Philly, but then seeing how bad things went in Indiana, I mean, he values Boston so much, and he's been pretty vocal about it. I think he even talked about it on the show a couple of weeks ago too. But he shameless plug there. But he's someone that he, I think, he really understands the value of the hometown discount because he's kind of gone through the arduous journey of when you leave the hometown. So he's definitely likely to consider it, but. If he's going to get like a thirteen or fourteen million dollar offer for four years, I mean, it's kind of hard to pass up that money. Yeah, and I think also what plays into it is he seems like a smart guy. I think he can see the path that the Celtics are on. So, you know, maybe it's just a matter of do I take a couple million dollars less to go play with Boogie Cousins and Kevin Durant, or you know, I think <laughs> the, but that he would have to resign in Boston to do that, wouldn't he? Um, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are. I'm just thinking. Oh, I mean that to, to play with Boogie and Kevin Durant, he'd have to stay in Boston because the, the Celtics are obviously going to trade for both of them next year. Yeah, so I mean, whatever. The point is basically that like he can see the path that we're on, and, and that may impact his decision of, okay, yeah, it's more money in New York, but they're a hot dumpster fire compared to you know the trajectory <laughs> that the Celtics are on. So, you know who's, who knows? who's definitely walking out that door is Sully because he's going to get offered like a $16 million a year contract and the Celtics are just going to say, hey man, Sully, if you don't sign that contract, you're an idiot because we're not getting anywhere close to that. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Sully, go make your $16 million a year. Yeah, see, that would make me sad. I'm a, I'm a big Sully guy. I, I like Sully too, but he's not a $16, uh, $16 million a year player. No, no, most definitely not, but that would, that would hurt to see just because Oh, he's when their best rebounder. Of, yeah, when you think of where they got him at 21, I think it was, and all the injury risks, I mean, he seems to get that under control this year. And when he just decides to just get down on the block, he's he's a monster. And we saw he had something like five offensive rebounds the other night. Um, I just think he, he would, unless they were going to replace him with an ample rebounding big man, that would, that would hurt them, believe it or not. Okay, Jimmy Butler. Didn't okay. get traded to the Celtics this uh, during the trade deadline, but according to Chris Mannix at the Vertical slash Comcast slash Every Tom Ford Store in New York, the uh, they almost almost got into negotiations, but the offer was such a low ball that it didn't it didn't even really get that far. Danny Ainge mentioned that 
They had, at the deadline, negotiations about a player that wasn't rumored, even though Jimmy Butler was rumored and speculated by a lot of us, and that these negotiations or negotiations in general can lay the groundwork for more significant negotiations during the offseason. So he pretty much confirmed that Jimmy Butler is getting traded to the Celtics in the offseason, which we all know, (laughs) case closed. But a lot of hypotheticals have been coming up about what would you trade for Jimmy Butler? And the prevailing one out there has been either Avery Bradley or Marcus Smart and the Brooklyn pick and probably even more involved, especially for salary matching to get Butler. Now, I think you have to play that game with is the Brooklyn pick a top two pick or is it the fourth or fifth pick? Because it's going to be probably one of those two things. So operating on the idea that it's the fourth or fifth pick, which is most likely, would a trade like that interest you, GM Greenberg? Um, I'd go crazy. I'm of the camp, and this may be a minority, but even if it's one or two, um, I'm not completely against it. Because oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Because here's why, right? I'm, I'm the kind of guy, sure, Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, they could turn into the next LeBron and Kevin Durant, but that's a maybe, right? You're going to give me a young Jimmy Butler, who I now have control of for, I think, four more years, who's an absolute stud. He is, when I think of blue-chip players that the Celtics need to bring in to take that next level, I see that happening quicker with someone like a Jimmy Butler and as opposed to waiting for Ingram or Simmons or whoever to develop. Now, you would take some step backs based on the players you have to give up, and I kind of threw this out on Twitter, um, like, what would, what would you do if the Bulls said, okay, we'll trade you Jimmy Butler, but you also have to take Derrick Rose? Oh, he's got one more year left on his deal, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. I don't understand why you wouldn't do that. I mean, I'm I'm still not sure how you're going to match the salaries on that. Although they might, I think with the with enough space for announcing, they could do that. But it's it's just for one year. You get that kind of tryout year to see if Rose is worth committing to at twenty million for the future. And unless they are clearly going to get like Durant or somebody else in the free agency market, I don't see why you don't do it. I feel yeah. I, the only the only thing I can think of is. Does that, and again, not knowing the money or anything like that, but does if we were to take on Derrick Rose, who take who makes about twenty million, let's say per year, Jimmy Butler makes probably what almost twenty million a year. Are would you do that if that then meant that you can't get someone like Al Horford? So that way you have you have your stud in Butler, but you miss out on someone that like Horford, who could be an attractive teammate for someone like Durant in two thousand seventeen whatever it may be. Um, so that's why I kind of have to sit there and pause about it because, A, is Rose coming off the bench? Like, I'm not about to bring Isaiah off the bench now, so where does he sort of fit in? Um, it, there's a lot to think about, so I hope that's not the conversation because if there is no Derrick Rose, I'm absolutely trading whatever I can, player pick to get Butler. I'm, I wouldn't trade for Derrick Rose. I just think it adds – Isaiah's already dealt with too many uh, situations with too many point guards in the past – I just don't think it would be helpful at all for team chemistry. But I'd give up really pretty much anything. I'd give up probably the top pick and your their choice of Marcus Smart or Avery Bradley for Jimmy Butler. I agree with you. Him and Jay Crowder went together at Marquette. There's definitely some chemistry there. Jimmy mm-hmm. Butler is also uh, best friends with Mark Wahlberg. There's already a built-in connection there. <laughs> And so they could get Mark to play for the team as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Put him at the four. But if your three best players are Isaiah Thomas, Jimmy Butler, and Jay Crowder, I think you're – I don't want to say a contender, but I think you're definitely a contender in the East. And 
you just have to add one more piece, and you would have enough money at that point, I think, to bring in a person like Al Horford. Then you're immediately you're an NBA title contender. So I'd give up the yeah, farm for Jimmy Butler. I'm just, I'm just nervous. Like I don't think I don't think they'd be able to keep Crowder um, if they were to get Butler because I don't think Avery or Smart and Picks is enough talent wise. Like sure you could you know throw in some you know Tyler Zeller or Neil Johnson's contract to make the money work or whatever. But from a talent perspective, if you, if you think of what you're losing. You know, Jay Crowder is kind of like a poor man's Jimmy Butler. So I can't imagine that they wouldn't at least want him back, especially because he's on a really good value deal. You know, he's only making, I think, $7 million a year. Um, so I can't imagine that if they were to part with a cornerstone player like Butler, they, that wouldn't have to be, like, especially if the pick ends up being like four or five as opposed to one and two, uh, I guarantee you that they'd probably have to throw in Crowder. I'm just imagining a situation where they can do a complete rebuild, and maybe I'm just uh, wishful thinking. So you throw them maybe a Brooklyn 2018, the three, and what might be like the 10 or the 11 into the Dallas pick, and give them Marcus Smart and just say, hey, man, Bulls, you guys are going young right now. Build around Smart and Portis and Dougie McBuckets and just yeah. tank next year and try to get the next star. That would be my sales pitch to uh, John Paxson. <laughs> All right, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be a uh, a basketball podcast and not be able to talk about uh, D'Angelo Russell, Nick Young, Iggy Azalea, and just one of the best stories, or at least the most hilarious stories in in my book. And I think it's awesome just that the NBA has turned into a full soap opera. We had the the Derek Fisher thing. We have this, and it consumes my entire life. And I, I I'm not complaining whatsoever. It's just constant entertainment. But Stool Greeny. What is your take on the uh, the D'Angelo Russell saga? Um, I hot feel take. For, all right, my hot take is I wouldn't be surprised if he's out of the league in four years. Damn right. Okay, give me a Luke. Or, uh, I, think, I think the studio is on fire after that one. Jeez. <laughs> so, and, and here's why. Just because I think this is something that, you know, is going to follow him. Even if the Lakers were to get rid of him, People don't forget. You know, there are people who like Nick Young. There are people who just have brains and realize locker room etiquette, and you just can't do that because for a team to be successful, everyone has to trust each other. They have to be there for one another. Here's a kid who clearly just doesn't get it. You know, whether or not he meant it to get out, like what are you even recording it for the first in the first place is sort of my opinion on it. Um, like did you just plan to just have it on your phone so you could watch – by yourself. I, again, that all doesn't make sense to me, but I think his value is tanking. I mean, you could probably get him for 50 cents on the dollar, um, and I, I, there's no way the Lakers can keep him, and that's unfortunate because you know he was supposed to be their you know next sort of guy in L.A., but what an idiot. Like, what, a, oh, yeah. what an absolute idiot. Here's my defense of D'Angelo Russell. He's 19 years old, and he's stupid. Just like every other 19-year-old ever. I've never yep. met a smart person at the age of 19. So I think eventually, if as long as he doesn't mess up whatsoever moving forward, people will realize, oh, yeah, you really fucked up because you were 19. But, I mean, right. everyone's 19. Everyone makes stupid mistakes. I don't think, as long if, as long as he's able to play basketball well, I think people are going to quickly forget that. I don't think that Lakers can really afford to do anything with him because he's their best player or most talented player on their roster right now. Yeah, and I, I just think there's a, there's a difference. And, yeah, I agree with you. He's 19. Like, 
when I was 19 at Arizona State, I did unspeakably stupid things. That's fine. But That's because you were at Arizona was, State. That is. I'm a proud Sun Devil. <laughs> but if this was something like, oh, he got in a fight outside of a nightclub, like, fine. That's no big deal. But it means more to me that, you know, he didn't have the foresight or the brain power to think, I'm breaking a teammate's trust, which is something that I think doesn't matter how old you are. That's just a common human thing to know. Like, okay, if my buddy's cheating on his girlfriend, like I'm not going to blow up his spot to his girlfriend just because that's just something. I think we all knew that at 19. And I think it's even worse when, you know, you're, it's your teammates and you have to build around and trust. And I don't know, I just, I can't, Maybe it's because I'm 29, but I just I can't comprehend what his brain is thinking. So I mean, here's how I see the situation. I mean, for one, I, I talked about this on Twitter and caught a lot of flack for it. I don't think the basketball world should be focusing in on Nick Young's situation and his in his in his relationship with Iggy Azalea. There's so many variables there in which we don't know anything about whether it's an open relationship, all that kind of stuff. People just generally apply whatever their standard is or just what the general consensus standard of relationships is and monogamy is, and they apply to the situation when you really don't know what the hell No, here's on. why the basketball world shouldn't be talking about the situation. Nick Young sucks and Iggy Azalea sucks, so there's really <laughs> it doesn't really matter in the long run, just like the, the more, story is D'Angelo Russell. That's a more important part. Although we do, we will always have the booty music video, so we have to thank the world for that. But yeah, and, and I thought it was—it's kind of messed up. Like if you watch those press conferences by each of them the other days, you know, it's—it's it's not any of our business how they resolve this issue. Like I should be—I would rather focus on you know how this is going to impact them on the court, whether exactly. they're just pleasing this kid out. I mean, I don't care how many conversations they have to have, or if their friendship is ruined, like. That means nothing to me. It means more to me, okay, are the Lakers going to move him? Or, you know, how is this impacting their, you know, if he was still the high-fiving everybody in, in their win last night. So I think they're all sort of putting on a brave face where internally they just all just must want to kill this kid. Absolutely. And so what I found interesting is there was a, a theory I saw on Reddit that I thought was pretty, pretty uh, at least a pretty good stab as, as to how this video got out. Nick Young's Instagram was hacked pretty recently, and the prevailing theory is that the video was Snapchatted by D'Angelo to Nick Young because on Snapchat you can upload your videos from your camera roll on iPhone and send it. So that's why, even though it's like a 44-second video, why it doesn't match the video limitations for Instagram or Snapchat. So he d he sent that on the DL to Nick Young on Snapchat. The hacker got Nick Young's password from his Instagram account, which was probably pretty much the same password for his Snapchat, was able to get into his Snapchat and pull the video, and then probably sold it to TMZ or however. I can't even, I'm not sure exactly how it got out in the first place. But that makes a lot of sense because I think it's been pretty apparent that D'Angelo Russell looks – I mean, you look at him up there talking about how this get out. He looks, like, completely clueless. So I'm, I actually definitely believe what he's saying. And when you put that – when you try to apply that context to it – it seems like you know it's pretty clear that they just had a they had a game going, which really isn't unheard of, and especially because most people covering the subject aren't part of the Snapchat generation, which I am regrettably somewhat part of. But people send all sorts of crazy shit to each other over Snapchat. Thankfully, I've only gotten like two dick pics from random people on Snapchat. <laughs> Please send more. Oh, you, I pressed you on those. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Uh, good cause. And the. You know, these guys, they make crazy Snapchat videos, send it to each other. It's Snapchat. It's supposed to. You're supposed to see it once, and then it's gone. That's how it's generally supposed to go. So it's not that big of a deal. You don't expect something like this to happen. 
So it's really not as crazy and hard to understand as I think most people covering it that don't that don't even know what a chapsnat is or whatever. Right. It's it makes a lot more sense when you're able to actually empathize with the thought process of somebody in their early twenties. Yeah, and, and I think I'm, I'm trying to remember where I heard it from. It may have been on uh, on the rundown on on Barstool, but pretty much what needs to happen is Kobe just needs to stand up and be like, "This stuff happens." You know, he snitched on Shaq. It happens, and I think if Kobe was sort of like his presidential pardon to D'Angelo Russell, like, don't worry about it, I'll change the narrative for you, like, this isn't that big a deal, I'm surprised that hasn't happened, because, like, what does Kobe care? He's Kobe. Kobe should, like, put out a dick pic right now just to completely divert the situation. Yeah. He's got nothing left to lose, right? Right, and I think, I mean, I was hoping that he was going to drop, like, 30 last night to try to change the narrative that way, but he played, like, six and a half minutes, and then was in a full body cast, but I don't think it would hurt him to just be like, hey, this stuff happens. You all remember what happened with me and Shaq. This kid's young. Let's he's not going to remind people, Yo, you guys remember that time I snitched on, on Shaq? Could you imagine if they had Snapchat and iPhones like 10 years ago and all that shit went down? It would have been incredible. Yeah. All right, uh, Dan, you mentioned Barstool and... Everyone outside of the Barstool universe is always curious about the inner workings of Barstool. Yep. But you are the uh, the Celtics writer there. And I want to know, ha- have you met uh, Dave Portnoy? Or anybody um, else in Barstool? Yeah, let me tell you this. I have not met a single person at Barstool. That's what I was guessing. That's what I was guessing. Yeah, so I just actually, well, you can actually subscribe to this also on iTunes, but I just did uh, B-Squad with Brian Mike uh, this past weekend. Um, it was my first time meeting him, first time meeting Rear Admiral. Um, so it's it's crazy. I mean, if there if, if there are different levels to the stool, uh, I'm like not even remotely on the surface in terms of sort of what goes on there. I mean, I'm not filled in on any future plans. I pretty much only stick to my sort of platform in the Celtics and, and that's sort of it. Um, Dave and I will email back and forth every once in a while about stuff, but um, other than that, I, I met them once in Panza at the, in the North End before a Celtic game. They were having like a, a company sort of holiday outing before I even started blogging for them. Um, that's my favorite restaurant in the North End. If you haven't been there, you need to go. Uh, best bread in the city. Um, but no, I've never even met any of them before. <laughs> yeah, because I, I started my career working for and continue to working for CLNS Radio. And I didn't meet anybody from the website for years until I think there was like a get together in Boston. But uh, the people that created the company were from Maine and Pennsylvania, and right. it's amazing how nowadays it's like you don't even there's no there's no home office. I don't know if Barstool has like a actual office where people can go and write, but I assume not because I assume you're doing most of your work from home or wherever you're working from. Yeah, so for me, for me, I don't. I mean, I've never been to the Boston office. You know, I'm not going to the. They're all moving to New York. I'm not. I'm not doing that, or at least haven't been approached yet. Um, and and how it started was really kind of crazy because. They say it all the time of like, hey, if you want to write here, just start a, start a site, keep it updated, send it in, and we'll read it. And if it's good, we'll, we'll get back to you. And that's pretty much exactly what I did. It was a time for the Celtics last year where they were making their playoff push. They had just traded for Isaiah. And there really wasn't any coverage on, on Barstool. And, and as someone who read the site every single day, like that infuriated me. So, you know, Hank was doing it every once in a while. But oh, Hank was terrible it. at it. No, he was great, but he was, you know, he had a lot more pressing, you know, a lot more fun things to do than sort of 
grind with the Celts gaming game out. So I made my own website, called it the Parquet Perspective, wrote like three posts a day of all different types of stuff, like game pre, you know, pre-game, post-game, fun stuff. And um, I remember it was a game right around the end of February, early March, that Isaiah had had this crazy performance, and Dave had tweeted out, like, man, this Isaiah kid, like, he's, he's the real deal. And I just replied to him and said, yeah, you know, I agree. I wrote about it on my site. And he apparently saw that link, clicked on it and read it. Uh, he followed me for about 30 seconds just to DM me to tell me to keep writing and to keep sending him some stuff. So I did. And then uh, he kind of just said, you know what, we'll make you a login. We'll test it out for the rest of last season. And since then, no one's really sort of changed my login or told me not to keep <laughs> doing it. And it's sort of developed into to my thing. And it's a blast doing it. I love talking to all the stoolies about it. And uh, I'm proud that the, that Barstool now has a consistent Celtic voice because I think it's something that they needed um, before I started. Now, I find your writing fascinating because – you're writing, I mean, I think pretty clearly from a fan's perspective, who also pretty clearly knows what the hell they're talking about. And you don't seem to have any sort of editorial boundaries. You you pretty much can talk about whatever you want, however you want, and you can use whatever fucking adjective you want. Right. I mean, how, what Do you have any editorial parameters from above? And, like, how, how do you structure your approach to covering the team? Yeah, so when before I started writing, I mean, I was huge fans of Jerry Thornton's Patriots blogs, Rare Admiral's. Bruins blogs, but also writers like, you know, Zach Lowe and, and people like that that were on Grantland at the time. And Barstool is so competitive where, like, the biggest thing is you don't want to sound like everybody else. Like, how I write, I try not to sound like Dave or Fidelberg or anything like that. But they're, what's so empowering on it is we have complete freedom. You know, like, I don't have an editor that writes my headline for me or I don't have someone that says, hey, this post can only be 400 words. So what Dave does is because, you know, I think part of it is because he's so busy and working on bigger and better things that he just trusts us that we're going to put out good content. But if I write a terrible blog, there's no guarantee that it even gets posted. Um, so I think that's sort of like our, okay, when I'm getting ready to do this, I need to make sure that it's up to snuff or I'm going to be spending two hours writing this. It's not even going to get posted. And that's the worst feeling in the world. Yeah, because I, I saw in one of your most recent articles, you basically wrote about how your dad emotionally punched you in the dick by not getting yep. you to fly out to Phoenix. Yeah, well, he did. <laughs> so, I mean, one, I hope your balls are okay. But two, you you know, that that was kind of like the lead of your story and that you don't see a lot of leads like that uh, covering the Celtics. But do you, I mean, did you find that people really gravitated towards kind of the, the personal aspect of it and how you're, you're able to write from, I guess, probably more closer to their perspective rather than writing at them, but while yeah, still giving really good in-depth I think coverage. that's what makes Barstool successful with everything we write is if, you know, I'm allowed to, to speak in the blog the same way I do texting with my friends or texting with my dad or whatever during a Celtic game when I'm just completely irrational. And I think for me what I try to do is I want to I don't want to lose that. I want to keep being that irrational Celtic green teamer that I've been my entire life. But at the same time, I, I like to provide some real substance to back that up. So, for example, I may be a little out of control with my Isaiah Thomas <laughs> crusade, but at the same time, like, I'm going to present to you the numbers of why it makes sense. So I think that's the balance of where I've tried to be, like, 
part Barstool, part Zach Lowe, part Jay King, and all the the traditional Boston media guys that do a fantastic job that I just I'm in awe of because they have real deadlines and they have. Yeah, we don't talk about Jay King here on this podcast. Just an FYI, we got some beef with him. Oh, see, I love Jay King. He's great <laughs> me. I mean, me and him, we're we're great. And I once uh, I was in Denver when the Celtics played the Nuggets, and I sat close to where they were. And I mean, they're just in their computers grinding the whole time. And you know, that's where I kind of like what I get to do because I can sit there and you know write down some notes and enjoy the game. But I don't need to then freak out and bust out a blog so I can get posted 30 minutes after the game ends. I can sort of take my time and think about how I want it to look and structure and all that. Um, so credit to them, and please resolve your beef with them. They do fantastic. No, don't worry. It's a fake it, beef. It's a fake beef. We We're actually very are friends. very good friends with Jay King. He just also hosts a uh, Celtics podcast. He does. I haven't been on that one yet, though, so maybe I need don't... a fake beef with him. Yeah. You'll be in Robert Parrish's class. That, and yeah. not, not to promote one of our rival podcasts, but their interview with Robert Parrish was really good. And also Celtic Speed's interview with Kevin Pelton I just listened to today. There's so really many good. podcasts out it's, there. Yeah, like every, I like every other Celtics podcast. I mean, and you've, you've all, <laughs> everyone listening to this has plenty of time to listen to all our shows. Ours is pretty much every Thursday night, so you can listen to that Friday morning before the Celtics game and listen to all the other ones whenever you want. Nice. All right, um, we got some questions from the uh, the Twitter world. So tweet hashtag WEI Celtics if you want to ask questions on next next week's show. We got way too many questions here. Let's okay. I want to start. With, can we start with Seafoam Jones? Because oh yeah, C-Foam his questions Jones. are always pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> so first off, best starting five made entirely of one cloned player, and you can't say LeBron because I think that's too easy. A current player, current player cloned yeah. five times, going up against uh, this year's Warriors, basically. Kevin Durant. That's like the second most easy. Yeah, got, that's fair. Give right, me something. Right, give me right, something. Right, really stretch me here. All right. Um... Carl Anthony Towns. I love that. Oh, that's a that's good one. Perfect. Okay. Why? Did you see him? Did you see him D up that point guard? What was it like two nights ago? Yep. I it, can't remember who the guard was, but they couldn't. Like, he's not a center. He's not a big man. He doesn't have a position. He is just an absolute freak. There's too many of these guys in the NBA now that were like guards that turned out to be physical specimens at seven feet tall. With oh, so Davis, you mean Kelly Olynyk? Yeah. That, is that who you were? Okay. The Greek freak. <laughs> Five Greek freaks would be the freakiest, and that's yeah. just uh, – it would be weird and kind of foreign, and that's that would be my pick. All right, next uh-huh. question. If you had to draft a Celtics team with one player from uh, each decade, so the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and then 2000s still present, what would that team be? <laughs> All right, so let me think back here. 60s, I mean, obviously Russell. Yeah. 70s would probably be – Havlicek for me. I think that's obvious too. I can't think of maybe Dave Cowens, but I think Havlicek yeah, makes the Cowens, most sense. Say, now we're not factoring in positions, right? This no, you can players. do whatever you want. All right, 80s obviously is Bird. I mean, come on, what are we doing? <laughs> 90s is Pierce. Um, yeah, well, is that Vitaly Potapenko? Dino Raja maybe maybe get my pick, but I don't know. Kenny Anderson, Rodney Rogers. I mean, Reggie Lewis could do it. Yeah, I mean, 90s you got to go Pierce. 2000s. KG, you could go Isaiah. Is your Isaiah fandom that much? That team does need a point guard, but we. I said well, no, we, Isaiah is 2010s. Don't forget, we're in a different decade now. Oh yeah, you. Yeah. Do, oh, you can use the yeah, six I'd man too. If, if it's if it, I mean, if KG, I mean, if it counts by people that they traded, yeah, I mean, obviously KG um, for the 2000s for the tens. So where we are now? Don't forget, you still have Prime to, Rondo. 
Hmm. I would rather have Isaiah than Rondo. That's me. Prime. Even though, like, I'm maybe one of the last few people here that are on the planet that are still Rondo apologists. I mean, the same argument that we were having right now about Isaiah, I had about Rondo for his duration of his time here. But if we had to pick between the two, I, I'd rather have Isaiah. I have really no arguments with your team. It seems pretty logical. But a good question. All right. Did we get 50s Bill Charmin or Bob Cousy, I mean, on that team? No, Bill Russell was obviously the – oh, 50s. Yeah, Yeah. because 50s, Bob Cousy was the MVP. That's not even real. He lives up the street from me in Worcester, so I I got to go with Cousy as the Worcester boy for the 50s. All right, anybody from the 40s, Celtic? Okay, let's go to someone that we know you've never met in person. Eric Barstool asks, if the Seas end up in the 4-5 matchup, would you rather play the Hawks, Heat, or Hornets? Um, Heat. Yeah, I think we covered that one earlier. Um, we, we've dominated the Heat this year, and uh, Dwayne Wade's a terrible person. This podcast, actually, its first iteration was first called the I Hate Dwayne Wade podcast. Wait, really? Before <laughs> Loving Anthony Davis? Before wow. before it was the uh, the We Love Anthony Davis, um, but then we tried to have Paul Flannery on, and he was just like, I can't go on a podcast called the I Hate Dwayne Wade uh, <laughs> podcast. So then now, we changed the only it. Thing that, the only thing that scares me about facing Miami early and then Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals is, historically, the Celtics have not been able to buy a foul in either of those arenas. So that gives me some concern. But I think Atlanta has two good shooters. The Hornets are playing too well, so you kind of have to pick the heat. All right. Uh, stand for something. RLS003 asks, out of all the free agents slash trade rumors that have come out recently, which one do you feel is most likely to occur for the Celtics? And keep in mind something that uh, literally has just happened while we're recording this. DeMarcus Cousins has been suspended one game without pay by the NBA for his 16th technical foul. Okay, so which one do I feel most likely is probably the theory where no free agents come to the Celtics. <laughs> um, but if I had to pick a player, I'd say Horford, just because I think there was a little under the table sort of, mm-hmm. you know, negotiating at the All Star break. I think he's a little bit of leg probably, rubbing there. Yeah, a little elbow rubbing, the most likely. Um, I've already made it clear to, to Boogie Cousins that he can have my North End apartment if he wants it. All he has to do is just come to Boston. Um, so I would love for that. I don't understand the hate against him. I think it's it's stupid to sort of judge him based on the situation that he's in. I mean, you don't hear a peep about him when he's on Team USA and they're winning. Um, you know, you don't hear a peep about Draymond Green complaining because they win. So I, I'm I'm all about the Boogie train, but... If I had to pick, it would be, you know, that nobody shows up because that's how my life has been. So, All right. Uh, this one's from Sake Steve, or at Steve for three. If you had to be the owner of an expansion team in the NBA, what city would you choose? Oh, Las Vegas. That's easy. <laughs> uh, what would your uh, what would the uh, mascot be? Um, Here, I've got an like... idea. It's the Las Vegas Knights, um, but it's like... Uh, Sword like a, fighting knights, knights with a K, but then okay. it just has a good ring to it. Um, the Las Vegas Knights. That's a good one. I think. I mean, if you guys ever been to Vegas before? No, I have not. I have not. So you okay. you, you have to so, educate us. Okay, so when you um, when you walk up and down the strip, you have uh, all these guys on the side of the street just like flipping these little like call girl cards or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that would be my mascot. I don't know how they would be able to work that in, but. 
you can't be in Las Vegas without seeing all these dudes that are just who knows where they come from, but they're literally everywhere. Um, I don't I don't know what that would be in terms of a family friendly environment, but um, either that or maybe some like some dice or something. I don't know, Las Vegas dice or something. I like so that. I would call it the Las Vegas Strip, singular, not plural. Oh. On this one, one of those singular ones, and the mascot is an Elvis impersonator and a really trashy stripper. <clears throat> that works. But, but you know what? Super now trashy, though. Now that I've now that I've thought about this, um, if not Las Vegas, I would go back to Seattle. Yeah. They need a basketball team. It was messed up how they lost their team. I would. I might even choose Seattle over Las Vegas. They deserve. You know, there's such good basketball history up there. They deserve something. My one wild card for this uh, experiment would be Montreal. I think the little French-Canadian aspect would be kind of weird in the NBA, and I kind of like how that uh, that would work out. We've seen Canada loves basketball with the Raptors, apparently not so much with the uh, Vancouver Grizzlies, but the Expos were always like a weird team with powder blue, and just Montreal is kind of a weird place, and the whole French influence on the team, I think, would just be uh, generally entertaining. <clears throat> not a bad one. Okay, which, uh, this is also from Sake Steve, Final minute, game seven, round one. What is your ideal five-man lineup uh, for the potential matchups against Atlanta, Charlotte, Miami? We talked about the lineup of death that they have, although it's really more of a lineup of coma. But are you going, are you sticking with that lineup that you said before where it's, uh, was it Smart, Thomas, Bradley, Crowder, and Amir Johnson? Yeah, I don't see what not. I mean, Atlanta's tough because Paul Miltap is such an interesting player where, like, he's kind of like their... He can play the five, even though he's kind of six nine, and he can stretch the floor. Um, I don't, I don't think. I mean, Horford. It's tough because they kind of play big, right? I don't know how often Atlanta goes into that small lineup, but, um, but yeah, I would stick with it. And if you have to interchange Turner in there for some offense, you know, here and there. Um, but I just, I've, I'm more concerned with guarding their shooters, keeping you know their guards like Teague and Schroeder out of the paint is. Is, makes me a little bit more uneasy than how we would match up with like their front line or anything. All right, Dan, I'm going to get you out of here on this last one from our favorite question asker, Seafoam Jones. If your pubes and your hair on your head had to be the same length, how long would you choose? Um, well, probably like a buzz, a buzz cut. <laughs> Keep it simple. I mean, I don't style my hair as it is, so shave it all off. Let's get like a one or a two. That seems the most reasonable because the the other end of the spectrum just wouldn't make any sense. So no. <laughs> All right, good. Let's go in and leave it off. On sorry, Mike Mirosi will or Mirisi will get to you on the next week's show. Uh, Greeny, thank you so much for joining us. Where can we find you on the interwebs? Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Stool Greeny. Help me out here. I gotta up it up with all the other Barstool people, but you can also find me on Barstool Boston after every Celtic game. Day after. Um, to those who read, certainly appreciative. Thanks a lot. I mean, it's uh, it's not the most popular topic, but uh, I certainly appreciate you guys having me on, and it was a lot of fun. That sounds good. Um, everyone, go like him, uh, DM him your dick pics. Uh, let's get let's get this guy up to ten thousand followers at yeah, least by for, the end of the for night. All the, for all the ladies out there, my DMs are open. Slide right in, no big deal. That's that's a great way to end it. All right, thanks, Dan. Fox.
God, what a sexy conversation that was with Dan Greenberg. Thanks for joining us. You know where to find him now. Obviously, go to Barstool and find all sorts of goodness there. You can guess that ass. You can you can see him talk about what he talks about. You can see uh, the Flakegate coverage that I assume will go on for the rest of the time. I don't think I need to tell you how Barstool works. So, don't forget to subscribe to the WEI Celtics podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to it on Stitcher. Uh, you can just text me and I'll send you the link to the show. That's basically how distribution works. Now, Jared's phone number is 617-555-6565. fake street. Okay, so uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to my show, The Garden Report, at the CLNS Radio YouTube page. And that's the video version of my postgame show, Samuel Packard Barnaby, as his parents call him. Uh, that, no, they don't call him that. Uh, he's on the show quite often. We've only got a few regular season games left and then the playoffs, and we're going to do it big. We're going to do it sexy. Uh, and then, Sam, is there anything you want to tell people about? Um, I had a pretty good day today. Uh, I worked from home. I got a lot of got a lot of work done. Um, that's pretty much what I wanted to tell the people. Is that why you're wearing jeans and New Balance sneakers today? Yeah, Repping the also, New Balance. Uh, I'm also wearing a pretty dope Washington Bullet shirt. And if you want to find out more musings like this, you can follow me on Twitter at Sam Packard NBA. Thanks for listening to this episode of the WEI Celtics podcast. We'll talk to you next week as the Celtics return home from their five game road trip. Things will be wonderful. I take it upon myself to handle mine. Thinking that you got sample time to do this. Have you shot up? Thought you knew this. I'm crawling. No type of problem. Selling my sacks. Watching my back. Wooding them up like splish. Leaving them in a slash. Oh, good. The clock is ticking. Niggas from my pockets missing. I'm putting it down like it be hot before we argue. Shot. Got only so much time in this bastard. Me to be claiming for what I be saying. They procrastinating. Settling for less. Better be ready when they roll up in your nest. And sink one in your chest. And you gone. I'm out of here for good. Y'all be bobbing back and forth to let me. Know you understood, yeah. What's up? There's only so much time left in this crazy world. I'm just crumbling earth. I'm just crumbling earth. Niggas can't let me cause they don't understand. I'm just crumbling earth. I'm just crumbling earth. So check me out. See, once in a while when niggas be trying to test me, I get rid Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.